you're already traumatized as a human being and you haven't even lived for 10 seconds yet. Loans. You pulled out a student loan to get a floppy disk, bro? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody needs to meditate personally. Really? I, think there's a, really? I think there's a better way to reprogram your brain. It's in that chapter on... If you're not willing to take responsibility, if I'm going to be a victim my whole life, you have no hope of ever developing any kind of higher consciousness. Really have free will. Mm -hmm. How do you take oh, total responsibility? Oh, dog, you dumb bitch. <laughs> Give up being right. Uh, <laughs> too blessed to be stressed. No, too well, blessed. I'm not a big fan of free will. I maybe. 2% of our life has some sort of freedom of choice, but 99% oh, or more, and you don't have to do any more than this to experience a stress-free life. Wow. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Ward Radio. I'm your host, Cardinalis. I'm joined today in the studio by Kwaku L. Brad Whitbeck, Jacob Hansen, and our good new friend, Randall Johnson who is the author of the book, The Seven Secrets of a Stress-Free Life. Now, before you tune out and you think, well, this is some like girly self-help book, all right, there's actually some super cool nuggets of wisdom in here. And you've got, I do believe, the first number one bestseller tag that has ever come into our studio, which is pretty cool and you got to be proud of. So um, there's some really cool things in here that I saw right off the bat. Before I let you introduce yourself and talk about who you are and all this stuff, I just wanted to say I, I was impressed from the moment I opened this up. Uh, one, take total responsibility for everything in your life. It's like Jocko Willenick saying, like, you know, extreme ownership and stuff like that. Where do you think he got it? Randy said the, it first. Oh, dude, that's true. <laughs> Disconnect external circumstances from internal feelings. This is stoicism. I'm digging it. Identify needs that are really just wants. This is like 1980s parenting. Give up being right. Wow, you need to talk to Brad Whitbeck. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? And 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 get into him a little bit. <laughs> And um, gosh, realize you don't anything. This is awesome. So, so let's just dive right in, man. Randall Johnson, who are you? What is your story? What's the story of this book? How can it help us, uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints uh, specifically, or just folks at large? Tell us, my man, what is up? Okay, so uh, I was essentially born in the church. Um, my my father converted. I think I was three or four, five years old. Cool, cool. Uh, and so, uh, you know, grew up here in Los Angeles. Uh, Word. Great, you know, 1960s. What neighborhood, dog? La Crescenta. Ah, so you're a mm. rich kid, Rob. No, no, no. Yeah, That's La Canada. <laughs> okay, oh, let's okay. keep it straight there, yeah. okay? <laughs> like, uh, the fancy Canada? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> La Canada. So, you know, life's good growing up in, in Los Angeles in the church. Uh, it was really great. And then I went on to BYU, you know, after high school and went on a mission. And life should just be perfect, right? Yeah. Uh, the problem was that I had a lot of uh, neurochemical issues. Um, in the 60s, you know, today everybody's ADD, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or ADHD or whatever. Rock on. Well, I, I was actually literally truly medically diagnosed except i didn't get the diagnosis till i was 40 years old oh uh, man so you go back to you missed out on all your teenage years in adderall no i did not get to do <laughs> oh, any adderall. Okay, no, i make it up for it now though you know, okay. so, <laughs> <laughs> so i uh you know so when i'm if you're an adhd kid and they don't even have that thing invented yet 
you're just a bad kid. You're wild, you're crazy, you're disruptive, you're all the, you know, I got N's and U's on my citizenship grades and everything. Mm. And so the, uh, it, it's very difficult to, to manage those things. But the, the key thing that saved me was when I went on my mission, now you have a focus. You do something 24 seven. Rock on. I went to Japan on my mission, so not only was it the gospel, but trying to learn Japanese and, you know, 3,000 characters and everything. So, yeah. you know, we would, by having an, an, like an obsessive, compulsive need to do something perfectly to please Jesus, supposedly, uh, that got me to where I learned how to concentrate my, my mind to be able to do things. So I get mm. home from my mission, I, I've, I'm able to finish school, and you know went on to graduate school and stuff. So uh, I had a I had a knack for financial things and problem solving. So in, in grad you like Rain Man when he dropped all of those chopsticks on the ground, you could just count yeah. them. No, I, they weren't I, chopsticks. Sorry, I, toothpicks. Yeah, I don't have autism, fortunately. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, but for example, I I was at BYU and this is the 1970s and the Apple II computer came out. Dog. Yeah, and so rock on. They opened up an Apple II computer store in Provo, and you go down there. It was like twenty five hundred dollars, right? For, Dude, did you have? Whoa. Did you guys ever use an Apple? Are you too young to have used an Apple II C plus computer in your elementary school? Quaku. Oh, Quaku, definitely uh, too. The, the first, my first laptop was just a Mac. Like a yeah. normal dude, Mac. Dude, dude. The We're, Apple II C Plus was the first like widespread computer used in education. Were I they, used like, it. Colorful? I used it. Uh, yeah, it was. It, they no, were in no, schools for ones. 30 they're, years. That's all right. The one. Oh my God. These are before this, the colorful ones. Yeah, and it was just a green and black screen. This was the computer. Wait a in second. every computer Could lab. Could you play Oregon Trail on that one? Yeah, it was Oregon Trail. That's we had that. One. Where on earth is Carmen San Diego? Yeah. yeah. The, all the educational games were made for, and I swear this was a mainstay of American public education for twenty or thirty years. By the way, do you know how much we, they're going for now, bro? Like at least twenty bucks. Oh no, like a couple grand. <laughs> oh, a function, a functional set that like actually works, and you can plug in uh, Oregon Trail discs. and yeah, and has a printer, the accompanying printer, the dot matrix printer. This looks so, like you know the TikToks where people t like go into the garage and find knickknacks and glue them together and try to sell them at radio shack like this looks like <laughs> yeah like a like an air conditioner in a microwave like they just it, it looks fake this is a fake it looks like the fakest thing i've ever seen dude i i remember this from uh -huh. specifically from kindergarten for exclusively oregon trail that yeah. and that's the only time i ever saw one of these i remember we literally got in trouble and it was we, super old then if we killed too many buffalo when we were hunting our teacher would actually Get us in trouble for doing that. Really? <laughs> no. like, oh, that's can't slaughter funny. animals. I'm like, it's a, it's a little green screen. Uh huh. Yeah, dude. So here it is, man. This was the original screen. I'm gonna make it a little bit bigger so everybody can see. And there it is, boom mm -hmm. shakalaka. That was the Apple Two C Plus computer. It was wow. revolutionary in its time, my friend. So, so um, you yeah, saw going. one of these in the wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you know. The, I'd already actually built a computer in uh, the Department of Math at BYU. Oh. Uh, had a, a combined course with the Computer Science Department and the Electrical Engineering Department, and they taught us how to design um, motherboard architecture. And then we bought a bunch of chips and processors through the whatever that um, 
you know, mail order catalog. And, and you know, so we were built, AliExpress, yeah. Whatever. And, and, <laughs> and so, you know, we were doing that. But then the Apple II came out. And what was so cool about that, we were actually uh, saving our programs on a cassette player through a DSP chip, right? Where it would turn it into the little da -da 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 thing. Cool, yeah, rock on. And, and now there was this thing called a floppy disk. It would store 500k of data, right? I mean, in, in, yeah. in and out and instantly. And 500k. Um, yeah, it was just awesome. So anyway, I went, I went down there. I, I don't have 2,500 bucks, but fortunately BYU has a student loan program. So anyway, I got my loan. You pulled out a student loan to get a floppy disk, bro. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So so I bring on the very first program I wrote was how to practice blackjack card counting. And so, so, there, so there, there was this guy, Ed Thorpe, right? He's the famous uh, the okay. guy that invented card counting. And he'd written a book called Beat the Dealer. And, and somewhere I was in the, in the bookstore, and, and not BYU bookstore, but anyway. I was say, they, they sell they had the, that at BYU and, you know, and I was over in the statistics thing or something, you know, yeah. area. Anyway, I found that book, and I got all excited. So, yeah, I wrote a computer program to actually simulate blackjack, do specific training like flashcards and everything to really oh, wow. be really expert at it. And then I had to buy some other books that taught you how to camouflage yourself so they wouldn't know you were counting cards or anything. <laughs> oh, and my dude. roommate got into it. And so we went down to Las Vegas during the semester break and it actually worked. And we earned enough money in the weekend to pay our entire next semester tuition. So oh, wow. The only so problem, what does this have to do with de-stressing your life? Well, <laughs> I, I just, what it has to do, I don't know. That was a little bit of a tangent. Yeah, that setting you state. do have ADD, dog. What, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I do want to say, though, I did uh, have a conflict. Do you pay tithing on gambling winnings? That's, that's a conundrum. Yeah. And I well, think, I only think this, if you cheated. <laughs> Then I, yes, <laughs> I think it legitimizes the money. If you play, if you pay tithing on it, then now it's good. It's like it's no longer blood so like, money. Uh, I see what, like, <laughs> like, like you're like cleaning. Well, I do like, not dude, endorse like, that position. It's like money laundering. No, like if you're, you sell you're cleaning some, the money and making it spiritual. Like if I sell a couple kilos, and you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of one. Like, what do I do with this two hundred grand? Give twenty grand of it to the church, and now it's Jesus money. <laughs> oh my gosh! There you go. So it's it's watched. It's so I, I, I brought that up only because when I went to graduate school, I continued Ed Thorpe, the guy that wrote "Beat the Dealer," realized that he got banned from the casinos, and so he turned his attention to uh, beating the stock market. And he wrote a book called "Beat the Market," okay. and he used these very complex quantitative financial models and statistical models. And so I got super excited about that book. So off I went to to UCLA to to study. Um, finance and then i ended up having this career in finance and worked for a hedge fund and some other things developing these quantitative models that's why i only brought up the apple to computer the problem was uh, it's a very stressful job if you're yeah. trading 100 million dollars of, of derivatives at a crack mm. you better not lose money right and so um it became really overwhelming uh, mentally, psychologically, and remember, I'm undiagnosed. Turned out I was bipolar, and I don't know other things. So, mm. well, you are hide the pain, Harry. Yeah, so, <laughs> rock on, dude. So you know, I'm going to the doctor, and he's like, "Oh, well, here's some a prescription, right? Here's some Halcyon, or here's some Soma, or here's some Xanax, or whatever." Mm. And I didn't know it, but I came from this long family history of alcoholics, and so I ended up becoming a, a prescription pill addict. And oh, eventually, when I couldn't get the pres pres prescription pills, an addict will do whatever they have to do in order to, you know, feed the habit. So I ended up being a pretty full, 
full-blown drug addict and I ended wow. up losing my job. In the meantime, over here on the church side, you know, I'm, I'm a faithful father and, and, and husband and I had like some state calling, so I'm like an important person or whatever. Yes, and your calling does determine your worth. It does, doesn't it? It's <laughs> definitely in the church. And so, yeah. and, but and, I mean, we joke about it, but back then I really did believe that. Oh, really? I, yeah, I really did believe oh, that no. if you're, well, my patriarchal blessing said that I was blessed with some gift of leadership and that I would help less gifted members keep their faith and stuff like this, right? So mm. it just filled me with this whole ego of, you know, I need to help those less gifted people out there. And anyway. Well, it's probably a you thing, not necessarily your patriarchal blessing thing, you know, but yeah, I can see how it got to your head. It definitely did. So, And then you made a meme out of it, dude. Hide the... Yeah, you weren't just hide, hide the... Hide the prescription. Yeah, you weren't just hide the pain, Harold. You were hide the prescriptions, Harold, man. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so keep going with your story, Doc. All keep right, going. So, so I end up in the in the hospital with an overdose, and ultimately I, I get into 12-step recovery. And back in the 90s, the church was not in favor of 12-step programs. They thought they kind what? of wanted you to but stay. The, wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. Oh. The 12-step recovery book was written in the 80s. No. Yeah, we talked to the guys uh, on 12-step here in that podcast. Uh, maybe culturally they weren't. Doctrinally, they might have produced the there book. There was like a thing called like the Adam program or something that was kind of unofficial. I, I can tell you that uh, being somebody who actually remembers the 90s, I will say that the 90s was a transitional time from the post-war era where if you went to a shrink, you were considered crazy to being the era of acceptance of therapy as a valid way of uh, working out issues. I think there was a social stigma to therapy that existed, but mm -hmm. doctrinally, I don't believe the church was ever against it because they wrote the AA book in the 80s. I'm telling you, they did not. Oh, if you okay. Look at, if you look at the ARP handbook, the okay. Addiction Recovery Handbook, yeah. published in like 2006 or 2007. Okay, cool. Hmm. Well, we'll talk to the the twelve step dudes we had on before. We'll they figure had that these out. unofficial program. I think it was called the Adam Project or something. Okay, like that. Mm. but the actual ARP, the thing that they do today, that's in your okay. church bulletin, that yeah. that was not launched until I think it was two thousand six. I think it was. Okay, cool. Okay, so keep going, it, bro. I go. I get into recovery, and um, like you said, I I can't tell anybody in the church that I'm in recovery because you know that I'm a bad guy then. Mm. And twelve steps, I don't know, whatever reason, it did not have a, a popular opinion. Maybe it was just my local area. Um, but I, it took me seven years to get clean and sober, and I had multiple relapses. At one point, I was living in a full time rehab for almost two years. Oh man! Wow. Separated from my wife and my three daughters, it was, it was really tough. So the oh, reason dude. I bring that up is because. In that crucible of pain, emotional pain, physical pain, neurochemical pain, whatever, uh, I decided that um, um, you know I, I needed to rebuild my life, and I thought that I knew everything I needed to do about how to be spiritual because I grew up a Mormon. I read the Book of Mormon a hundred times, and I knew yeah. all the scriptures, and yet I didn't have the power of Christ or the power of the atonement the deeper meaning. inside of me. Yeah, okay. it was all intellectual, I, I guess, basically. So so I went on this journey to say, well, how could I be a Mormon and not have this power to transform my being like that Christ offers if you read the scriptures? And so in that whole journey from about 2003 to uh, when I published this in 2018, I was working on how do I transform my own n neurochemistry, but also my, my um, neural pathways, my psychology, you know. So I looked at dozens and dozens of modalities 
I went to a Tony Robbins weekend course. You know, I mean, anything yeah. from from the spiritual. I went out to Joshua Tree over and over and over to practice, you know, meditation and learn all those things. And I, I, I went to Japan on my mission, so I was already familiar with Buddhism, got into that. And most of the time, about 90% of the time, whatever modality that, that I was practicing didn't really help me very much. Okay. But once in a while, there would be some aspect of one of these modalities. I'd say, now that one is key. That one actually has power. And that was the beginning of the forming these seven secrets. So, you know, Eckhart Tolle wrote The Power of Now. So there's some ideas in there. Oh, okay, I'll pull that out. And, and a number of other books, um, even, even Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So mm. in pulling things from medical and, like I said, neuroscience and quantum physics and all these things, I just slowly started to accumulate the search of, and somehow intuitively, you have always have to have seven, right? Seven habits of this and seven of this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, seven yeah. days of the week. If it doesn't have seven, it can't have six. You gotta have seven. Yeah. So I just kept on the search until I could you know, discover the seventh secret. Uh, okay, so we'll, yeah. we'll talk, the, uh, a certain word just jumped out at me, and it's <laughs> honestly just because I saw a YouTube short on this. I'm such a millennial, you know? Hey, I've got this <laughs> profound author in front of me, and I want to ask him a question not about of his, not about his highly detailed and researched book. Here's a YouTube short I saw, you know? <laughs> but um, this guy got on the YouTube short, and he said, neural pathways have so much more control over your life than you realize, and here's a way if you want to change it, get up any uh, it, the first thing you do in the morning says go brush your teeth and if you're right-handed do it with your left hand and before you walk out of that bathroom say i love you i love you i love you 10 times in the mirror and he says this will absolutely be the first step of changing your life and he even said anybody whose life it does not change i will give them 100 bucks now what is that that word neural pathway just jumped out at me because it's the second time i've heard it in the past 48 hours talk to me what is this neural pathways stuff that you're talking about and, and, and how does it change people's lives? In, in simple terms, from the moment you're born and probably in the womb, you're having stimulus experiences with your senses. Rock on. So, you know, the whole Garden of Eden story is the story of, of your birth, right? The Garden of Eden's the mother's womb. You're in there, okay. it's all perfect. Adam and Eve are the sperm and egg and all that. And now you get thrust in the lone and dreary world. When you get dragged down, uh, some people get cesarean section, but let's just go with the traditional. You get dragged down that canal with some forceps and they're yanking you out and it's bright and it's loud and everything. Yeah. You're already traumatized as a human being and you haven't even lived for 10 seconds yet. Okay. You end up, the limbic system, of course, only cares about survival. So it's always driving survival programs. And then you layer these traumas onto it. And we have this innate, I, I think there's some research that suggests it could be DNA level to recover that that paradise that womb experience that garden of eden that i, I mean it was so wonderful right the, the amniotic fluid and the heart rhythmic beating and you know it, all your food was provided through the umbilical was all cord. warm and comfy yeah, you didn't have <laughs> you, know, you didn't have to flush a toilet it just all got taken away with you know whatever and we just somehow subconsciously are always searching for paradise lost and what I what the neural pathways are is basically when you do something over and over and over again, you're reinforcing a habit. That's really as, as simple as it is. And your brain is remembering all these patterns and everything. So now, right now we're in an environment, we're seeing some uh, visual things, auditory, whatever. Your brain is constantly 
continuously going, is this a safe environment? Is this a safe environment? Check the database, go back to the beginning of birth, look at every pattern and see if there's some frequency thing of your five senses that matches the situation you're in now. And if it finds one and it says, oh yeah, and that, that one was painful, you're gonna have a trauma response in the now to a, so some event that has nothing to do with the, the pattern, but the, the information, the, the technical you know, um, neuroscientific you know, vibration, whatever brain, brain waves is gonna, is gonna end up having you have this trauma response. That's why we argued about free will the other day, and I, I'm not a big fan of free will. I maybe, 2% of our life has some sort of freedom of choice, but 99% oh, yeah. or more is basically, like you said, the neural pathways are driving all of these patterns and driving our behavior and the limbic system is making so, so sure So why is survive. altering them so important? Like if, it, if you have a bad life, you need to alter them, but what does just altering them guarantee? Just the ability to start a new one that hopefully is less traumatic? What? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point of, of people going to therapy, right? They get they have to go in and process all these childhood traumas and, and whatever. And people think trauma means, oh, I was sexually abused as a kid or something. No, trauma is that you wanted that candy bar at the, at the Ralph's supermarket and your mom said, no, you can't have that today. You're immediately traumatized because you didn't get what you want. And, and you know, infants, they don't know anything about delayed gratification or, you know, negotiate and compromise or any of these emotional yeah. intelligence concepts. They didn't get what they wanted and they cry, right? And then the, the mother tells you to shut up or whatever. I mean, it, it, there's no way to avoid the, the most ideal family in the world. That kid is still going to have so much trauma that there's no way they're going to negotiate their adult life unless they blow up these neural pathways. So that whole point with that guy saying it, and you're a fan of chaos, the whole point is your brain has no chaos. It is so ordered because everything is a software program. That's if this, then that, and if this, then that. And you have billions and trillions of these programs that are driving the decisions you're making. So the whole point is, let me blow that whole thing up and become like a new, as Jesus said, become as a little child. The newborn baby, you know, we talked about, can you be offended, right? You can't offend a one-day-old baby. Walk up to it and smile and go, hey, you're really stupid. You know, the baby doesn't understand anything. It's not going to sit there and, and be all hurt and cry or anything like that. Okay, so there's so a bunch of... So we develop of... programs that tell us that if somebody says you're stupid, that hurts your feelings. That's just all programmed, uh, you know, neural pathway so developed we programs. To, we need to try and basically hmm. start over, wipe yeah. it fresh, right. and be, in a sense reborn yes into something new mm -hmm. it uh, almost also kind of sounds like uh phaetons what phaetons. oh like the scientologist uh, stuff yeah oh. no it, it like, oh, yeah. there's your boy l ron hubbard no man. i mean it, like you found a way to weave him <laughs> right in there you know? well no i mean ultimately i think that's what he's he was, he's talking about you know remove the religious aspect right there are there these ingrained programs in our mind all over our psyche thousands of them that maybe causing a lot of grief. And mm -hmm. if you have to learn how to change them for your benefit to, I mean, that that's, that, that's, if you separate of, the philosophy of Scientology, the Dianetics from the ch church of Scientology, which, you know, almost all churches are corrupt. Uh, you, people say, Oh, it's, it's a cult or it's this or that. But as you said, 
all churches have really good theology. They have some really good theory about life, and and that's the whole purpose of religion, right? Is to is to be re, be born yeah, again yeah, yeah. and and to regenerate ourselves as a new creature. And so, I have no problem with all religions. It's the institutionalization of those those religious theologies that ends up corrupting the whole. So here's whole my question. Yeah. Um, I, there's three, two things I love about your book. First off, it's very small and digestible. I mean, you do not veer verbose. You, you keep it very simple. And I mean, it's less than a hundred pages for heaven's sakes. And the font is as big as a goosebumps book. You know, like I, I really feel <laughs> like I, I could read this in the lobby of, you know, I don't know my shrink when I'm waiting for my shrink to tell me how to de-stress my life for $400 mm. an hour. I can just read the book for four ninety nine or fourteen ninety nine. Ooh. It's on sale right now. Yeah, I love this. Favorite. By the way, I could stare at this picture all day. Yeah, this it is a nice. So like, you've got in this cool book that's also very short. You've got seven secrets and all seven are just here on the first page. I'll read them really quickly. And I want you to tell me which one jumps out at you that you think the average person struggles with most and would be a good beginning spot on their journey of de-stress. OK, so secret one, take total responsibility for everything in your life. Secret two. Disconnect external circumstances from internal feelings. Secret three, identify needs that are really just wants. Secret four, give up being right. Secret five, realize you don't know anything for certain. And then secret six, if you must speculate about the future, speculate positively. Oh, I dig that one. And then secret seven, love yourself first, then others. So which one of these do you find with most people you talk to is the starting point? Like start here yeah. and then go. Well, you start with secret one because if, you, if you're not willing to take responsibility, if I'm going to be a victim my whole life, you have no hope of ever developing any kind of higher consciousness. So I have a question about that. Yeah. Because um, you, you mentioned um, thinking that the majority of free will is kind of an illusion almost. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you square that with taking total responsibility for everything in your life? Like, if you don't really have free will, mm-hmm. how do you take oh, total responsibility? Oh, dog, you dumb and dead. <laughs> gotcha. The answer no. is, it's a good question. The answer is that our mind doesn't believe the science. You know, we, we were talking about Robert Sapolsky, right? In mm-hmm. his new book. Mm. Probably free will. Imagine this. If you if you did a video of your life, yeah. like a five day video, and then the next day you watch the video, can you go back and change the the video? Can you say, hey, th- you know what? No. So I am so, a video editor, so yes, but no, I can't. But you know but what I'm I can't saying. change what actually happened. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> and and yet the point is, if I'm God, let's say, yeah, and I and I'm outside space time, I, I, all things are present before me, mm-hmm. and I see those five days of Brad because yeah. I have it on a you know DVD or whatever, and I'm like, oh look, and he already knows the end of your video, mm-hmm. but because you're inside the video and you're stuck in time and you don't get to see the past, present, and future all in one moment of mm-hmm. now, you don't know that you don't have free will. And so because you don't know, you think you're making decisions. And because you think you're making decisions and your mind believes that it's making decisions. And by the way, there's some neuroscience experiments that have kind of, you know, debunked that, that therefore you do have free will. You have the illusion of free will that you act on. And therefore it it drives the decisions that you make. Hmm. Okay. I, I kind of I mean, it got me thinking you ever been in a park 
with your dog and you don't have a bag and your dog takes a crap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You, exactly. You didn't Where are you take going the crap. <laughs> you didn't take the crap, but you have to take responsibility for your dog, right? I, mean, I got not- a great Dane. That's a lot of responsibility. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so it was funny. One of the things when we were we were talking about the book here, um, he said you'd mentioned to me that one of the things you can do with the book is look at the seven and figure out which one you're struggling with and that will help point you in the direction of where the source of the stress that you're having in your life is and i was oh. like i was like okay and so i started looking over and so i was kind of thinking okay what's yours dude do and that's it. that's what i was going to do let's uh, we can look through it so as i was looking at these okay take responsibility for everything in your life i actually feel like i do pretty good with that yeah that one, that one I, I don't feel jordan like I peterson has forced you into this definitely <laughs> yeah. um disconnect external circumstance from internal feelings I actually feel like I, that, that one I don't struggle with so much. Identify needs that are really just wants. I feel like I'm pretty satisfied with things. Uh, are you done bragging, bro? Or no, no, no. Just, no I, I'm, but I'm getting the one that, that I share. It's give up being right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Massive I failure. Can't, I can't give it up. Actually, no, to be honest, though, it was funny. I actually read this and I, I actually... I will deal with stress sometimes when things kind of happen, but overall, I genuinely have to say I I don't have high levels of anxiety and stress in my life. Mm-hmm. And I I'm too blessed to be stressed. No, too well, blessed. Well, and, and in some ways that's true. I mean, I, I I do have to admit in in many ways I am blessed, but also I can see that many of these, which are based in gospel principles, are things that sort of I've. I've learned and internalized and they do help me. And so I thought that it was really cool to go through this and look at that. But no, I will say there was a time where I felt like I would be more stressed about trying to like convince other people. And one of the things that's funny is a lot of people who interact with me, they might get the impression that like, I want to convince everyone. I honestly don't. I'm kind of like, I just feel like I need to speak what I need to speak, but I don't actually, it's sort of like, I just need to get this off my chest more than anything. And so yeah, I think especially in like you want to get really stressed really fast, go online and be upset that you can't convince people <laughs> to your point. Brad, of what's yours? What's yours, Brad? I, I think for me, it's secret two: disconnect external circumstances from internal feelings. I, I think I very heavily suffer from the I'll be happy when <laughs> sort of issue, oh, you know, that's a good one yeah, where like I struggle with that. Yeah, where, where, where I feel like, oh, man, if I just had blank all my problems would go away, right? Which yeah. is never really true, but I end up, ah, it's kind of a, who, Dang, who said you that suffer? Is, that is the one I would say probably that I struggle with too, probably the most. Oh, maybe? I, I would I would probably say yes. If I well, let's freaking go to that chapter yeah. and figure out how to get rid of it. Number six. Hey, by the way, you're the guru, guru Randall, yeah. and you're not talking and telling my bros here who are struggling with this yeah, how to get rid life. of it. You're fix a sucky it. doctor. Fix me. Okay. So now I'm responsible got, for <laughs> our life. Uh, the answer is in the book. Okay. Before you get to the chapter on secret one, the pr- chapter right prior to that is okay. entitled... The effortless stress elimination formula. Mm. So Kweku was saying, what what the back says, no dieting, no exercising, no meditation, no goal setting, no more doing the things that actually cause you more stress. Well, how can you eliminate stress? All of the books, and this is what gets the only point I really want to make about this approach to, to stress elimination is they always say, well, the way to eliminate stress and meditate and do all these things and become calm and do that. But 
if you don't fix the root problem of your stress, all you're doing is you've got a pressure cooker on the on the on the stove, and you're reinforcing it, and and the burner's going right, and then the thing starts whistling. Yeah, but. The, meditating is like the little valve, open the valve, the steam all comes out and then it's calm again. And then, okay, I'm fine. But as soon as the valve closes, the steam builds back. Meditation works as long as you're meditating and about five minutes after you're meditating, you're, whatever thing you're stressed about just comes back into your life. Unless mm -hmm. you meditate for literally like 20 years like I did and then, you know, you can So basically what you're something. saying is meditation is not worth it, stop. I don't. No, no, I'm I don't think, <laughs> no, I yeah, I don't think anybody needs to meditate personally. Really? I think there's a really? I think there's a better way to reprogram your brain. It's in that chapter on on stress. Well, what is it? Just say it really fast. What's the Reader's Digest version? Right, so, it's three phases. What what the paradigm is this? And and this is probably the most important thing that I want to read. And then before I know we get low on time, but I want to come back to that reel that you talked about in the in yeah, yeah, yeah. looking in the mirror and about saying I love you. Okay, because that is actually in my book. Okay. Um, oh. But here, here's the key thing, and because remember, I'm an academic kind of guy. Yeah. And my, the first version of this book was really boring, like 250 pages, academic, boring stuff. And, yeah. and my daughter basically said, this sucks really bad, Dad. Nobody's going to read this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and my daughter has a PhD, so she's pretty smart. And okay. uh, so, so she actually literally helped me rewrite the book. And that's why the fact that you noted these things, big wide margins, only about 20 lines to a page instead of 26. Yeah. And mm. I narrated the entire book in an hour and 20 minutes. Oh, that's oh wow. So it, it really is a very easy read. And it took four times as much time. It, the 250 page version uh. I wrote in X hours, getting it down to 90 pages of big type took another four times that long. Uh -huh. wow. Anybody can write okay. a 200 page book. Try to write a 90. And so I appreciated that you brought up that point because that was really hard. And by the way, somebody was talking about typos in their book. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just say it for anybody. If anybody does. And by the way, if, if anybody wants the book and they don't want to pay for it, you know, just, just, Con, ha, we'll have some contact information or something. I give I'll, the, I'll give some freebies. You can give me some I, freebies and then we'll yeah, give them out to I mean, I, yeah. I give the book away all the time and I even have a PDF copy that I can email people if they want because okay. I just want the I just want people to get better. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, the, the point of it was um, that in the beginning, in the introduction, I explain what my hypothesis is mm -hmm. about stress okay. elimination. And so here's what I say. Uh, and I talk about that, that little thing with the steam. Yeah. And the problem is you know, the valve closes and you build it. What my book does, it turns the burner off. Mm. So if you turn your burner off, you're just not going to get stressed anymore. So how do you reprogram your neural pathways so you don't have the burner on? And that's what the paradigm is. And then I say this. I said, um, let's see what I'm saying here. Um, Take your time, bro. Don't stress. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's see. I might be on this next page. Yeah. Uh, my approach is different and simple. It's called the effortless stress elimination formula. It talks a little bit about it. And it says, this is the most important point of the entire book. This is on page four. Unlike anything you've ever read on this subject, I'm claiming here that the source of stress is not due to any conflicts you are experiencing, such as relationships, work, or money. The fundamental premise of this paradigm is that the true source of stress is a conflict between your current way of thinking and the principles in this book. Now, see, that's the academic. 
I've created a hypothesis. Mm. All it says is, and, and you can be any religion member of the LDS church or whatever, but you're always going to be, my, my claim is these seven conditions are necessary and sufficient conditions without, if you don't do all of them, you're going to experience stress and you don't have to do any more than this to experience a stress-free life. Wow. This is totally awesome. And that's so. why I went back to school to get my PhD because, you know, I want to learn how to do academic rigorous types of uh, research and experimentation. Well, you know, I can, I can tell. We're going to have to get you back and we're just going to have to do a deep dive into each one of these chapters. Do an episode on each. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. literally this is <laughs> this is super great. Uh, it's been a great overview right now. And I think everybody should get it. In fact, probably what we're going to do is we're going to invite my audience to um, you can give us a bunch of free uh, copies, mm -hmm. I guess, if you say you got this yep. big. Uh, drug deal looking box of books in the back of your truck. You know what I understand? Then you can give us a bunch and mm -hmm. anybody that wants a copy, especially if they're a member, um, we'll probably do some kind of cool live stream where if somebody super chats, we also send them a free copy of the book or whatever. And we'll get that out to people. And then, yeah, I'd love to invite you back and actually start going chapter by chapter, a deep dive into it. Until then, if they're not lucky enough to get a free copy in that live stream or something, where can people find your book, my man? The seven go, secrets. Go to my website, randalljohnson.com. Okay, so just go to your website, randalljohnson.com. With one L. With one Or L. two. Okay, awesome. Oh, yeah, because he bought both. Because <laughs> he bought both. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, uh, anything you want to say before we go? Uh, no, only that uh, people are curious, right, the, the reel that you talked about. So at some point, look at page 82 where I talk about the mirror exercise is how you develop this ability to love yourself first and then others. Wow. Oh. Okay. Well, that's going to be the teaser for yep. the next one right there. All right. Awesome. Well, as always, uh, this has been great. Check the book out. Uh, again, one last time. His name is Randall Johnson, and the book is The Seven Secrets of a Stress-Free Life. Check it out because we're going to start doing a deep dive into this. This has been Ward Radio. To check out more, go to wardradio.com. Right.